0: The sun has set, the candles are lit, it is now time for the creepy podcast. It is now time now now time the creepy podcast on Podcast the creepy podcast. The podcast, episode 2, story one, The Smiling Man, Improvised Synths by DJ 4M.
1: Smiling, ah, fiddly deed a smile on your face, that smile on your smiling face. There's something about a smile. It can either be the most beautiful, wonderful thing, or the goddamn most f- fucking scariest shit you've ever seen in your life. And I've definitely seen both of those in my life. Holy cow. There's something about a smile, it's weird, you know? You can see the intent in a smile. So I always like... I don't know, I, I freak out about smiling stuff. Something smiling at me. I don't know, I don't know about that. I don't like that. Stop it. So uh, this one right here is called... The Smiling Man. About five years ago I lived downtown in a major city in the U.S. I've always been a night person so I would often find myself bored after my roommate, who was decidedly not a night person, went to sleep. To pass the time, I used to go for long walks and spend the time thinking. I spent four years like that, walking alone at night, and never once had a reason to feel afraid. I always used to joke with my roommate that even the drug dealers in the city were polite, but all of that changed in just a few minutes of one evening. It was a wetness day. Somewhere between one and two in the morning, comma, and I was walking near a policia, in de parque, quite a ways from my apartment. It was a quiet night, even for a weekend, with very little traffic and almost no one on foot. The park, as it was most nights, was completely empty. I turned down a Short Side Street in order to loop back to my apartment when I first noticed him. At the far end of the street, on my side, was the silhouette of a man dancing. Sounds like 6th Street on a Saturday night, around 3.30 in the morning. It was a strange dance. Yeah, definitely 6th Street. Similar to a waltz, but he finished each box with an odd forward stride. I guess you could say he was dance-walking. Headed straight for me. Oh hell no! No 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 no! I don't want no crazy crackhead dance walking at me. No, I am not your partner, homie. I'm not your homie partner. Mm-mm. No. No 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 no. no. <sighs> Deciding he was probably drunk, I stepped as close as I could to the road to give him the majority of the sidewalk to pass me by. The closer he got, the more I realized how gracefully he was moving. He was very tall and lanky comma and wearing an old suit he danced closer still until i could make out his face his eyes were open wide and wild head tilted back slightly looking off at the sky his mouth was formed in a painfully wide cartoon of a smile between the eyes and the smile i decided to cross the street before he danced any closer I took my eyes off of him to cross the empty street. As I reached the other side, I glanced back and then stopped dead in my tracks. He had stopped dancing, uh uh-oh, and was standing with one foot in the street, perfectly parallel to me. He was facing me, but still looking skyward, smile still wide on his lips. I was completely and utterly unnerved by this. I started walking again, but kept my eyes on the man. He didn't move. Once I had put about half a block between us, I turned away from him for a moment to watch the sidewalk in front of me. The street and sidewalk ahead of me were completely empty, still unnerved. I looked back to where he had been standing to find him gone. For the briefest of moments, I felt relieved. Until I noticed him. He had crossed the street, comma, and was now slightly crouched down. I couldn't tell for sure due to the distance in the shadows, but I was certain he was facing me. I had looked away from him for no more than ten seconds, so it was clear that he moved fast. So, this is a crackhead you're dealing with. I, you know, honestly, you live in a bad neighborhood and you don't know what a crackhead is. Uh, okay, that's a crackhead. Uh, yeah, that's cracking. I was so shocked that I stood there for some time, staring at him. And then he started moving towards me again. He took giant, exaggerated, tiptoed steps as if, <laughs> as if he were a cartoon character sneaking up on someone. Except he was moving very, very quickly. I'd like to say at this point I ran away or pulled out my pepper spray or my cell phone or anything at all, but I didn't. I just stood there completely frozen as the smiling man crept toward me. And then he stopped again, about a car length away from me, still smiling, his smile still looking to the sky. He might be in a K hole. Can you run when you're on ketamine? DMT? Uh. When I finally found my voice, I-, I blurted out the first thing that came to mind. What I meant to ask was, What you want? In an angry commanding tone. What came out was a whimper. <laughs> Regardless of whether or not humans can smell fear, they certainly can hear it. I heard it in my own voice, comma, and that only made me more afraid. He didn't react to it at all. He just stood there, smiling. And then after what felt like forever, he turned around very slowly and started dance-walking away. Just like that. Not wanting to turn my back to him again. I just watched him go until he was far enough away to almost be out of sight. And then I realized something. He wasn't moving away anymore. Nor was he dancing. I watched in horror as the distant shape of him grew larger and larger. He was coming back my way. And this time, he was running. I ran, too. I ran so far away. I just ran. All night and day. I ran until I was off of the side road and back onto a better lit road with the sparse traffic. Looking behind me then, he was nowhere to be found. The rest of the way home, I kept glancing over my shoulder, always expecting to see his stupid smile. But he was never there. I lived in that city for six months after that night, and I never went out for another walk. In fact, I never walked again. I went home and I cut my legs off and I cauterized the wounds with a hot frying pan. And then I ate my legs to make sure that I could never reattach them. I'm sorry, I just made all that, I'm sorry. I lived in that city for six months after that night, comma, and I never went out for another walk. There was something about his face that always haunted me. He didn't look drunk. He didn't look high. He looked completely and utterly insane. And that's a very, very scary thing to see. This story is credited to Blue Tidal, T-I-D-A-L. I like this story. I, I but If I could propose an alternate theory. So the first thing I thought when he said the man was dancing and all this stuff, and he's all intense and stuff, was like that scene in the movie Footloose when Kevin Bacon is just like all pissed off, and he's been drinking cheap beer and smoking bad cigarettes, and he's like running around just like in some blue jeans with his shirt off and stuff, you know, and his nipples are hard, like his nipples are really hard, aren't they? And uh, that Kenny Loggins song is playing, because anytime there's like a really, really kind of homoerotic thing that happens in an 80s movie, there's usually a Kenny Loggins song playing, and and he, uh, or sorry, uh, Kevin Bacon, he's just dancing his mother trucking Keister off. You know, he's like going for it. And he's like drunk and in that mode where he's probably... It's like the same thing that happens to relig- religious people when they handle snakes or they speak in tongues and things like that. And I think honestly what happened is that this happened when Kevin Bacon went off the rails in the movie Footloose that was Kevin Bacon from Footloose just this after that scene which you don't see, right? Like when he's still just like bombed out of his mind on like Coors Light and like GPC cigarettes, you know? And he's got his like beetle and he's like in his like skin tight, you know, cut off jeans with no shirt on and uh, he's just, you know, in his head is all heaven helps the man who... And yeah, so he ran up to that dude and he was like, you know, dancing and shit because he just... Footloose, y'all. Foot- you-, you never seen Footloose? Seriously. The Creepy
0: Podcast. Episode 2. Story 2. Clown Dogguts. Definitely not safe for work. Music. The score from the Invaders. From the Twilight Zone. Extra noise by dj 4 i
1: good lord, this one right off the bat caught my attention because when I clicked on it well, first off, how can you not click on a creepy pasta that has a title like Clown Dogs Clown Dogs I don't know if these are dogs in clown outfits maybe, are they creepy clown dogs? Because, you know some people are really creeped out by clowns and my dad is deathly afraid of dogs can you imagine if you were afraid of both and then they were just like clown dogs it gets deeper than that like it's already deeper than that because (laughs) as soon as you get to the first page of this pasta you have to click a button that says you're not going to be at work reading it well it says this page contains content that is NSFW not safe for work ...and may not be suitable for all audiences. Do you wish to continue to view this page? (laughs) Okay, it's called Clown Dogs, and it's not safe for work. So I'm clicking the yeah. Mm Mm-hmm, here we go. I was there, and I watched Alyssa do it. I watched her do it, and I didn't do a thing to stop her. And now they're all dead. It was a Friday, so my parents said I could spend the night at Alyssa's house. We were there in a room listening to the new Miley Cyrus album. Oh, see, it's already, it's already evil. I was trying out different shades of lipstick, applying a thick layer of candy apple red, puckering and pouting in the mirror before wiping it all off into a fistful of Kleenex and moving on to eggplant purple. Alyssa was sprawled on her back across her lacy pink canopy bed. (laughs) Oh, man. Her laptop propped up on her belly as she scrolled through Facebook. This is so NSFW. Alyssa was always on Facebook. I bet you were. It was a warm spring night, comma, and the window was open so we could smell the redwoods, comma, and hear the sounds of cars and trucks out in the distance on Highway uh, 101, period. Alyssa was chomping on a wad of bubblegum in that really annoying way she had when she turned to me, lip-smacking comma, and said, I know how we can totally screw her over. Flashing back to Dynasty, what's going on? It's Empire up in this month. Okay. How I asked tentatively, throwing my hair back and cocking my head over my shoulder to pucker in the mirror and catch the way the light shimmered on my midnight blue lips. I thought they were the eggplant purple. I was a little nervous because Alyssa can become a really crazy bitch when she wants something bad enough, comma, and I could tell by her quiet intensity that this was one of those times. Dog porn. Dog porn? I asked, wiping the blue... From my lips. Yeah, period. Porn with dogs, period. Cause that's what she is. A dog. A dirty, filthy dog. Hey, Seuss, that's disgusting, Alyssa. What are we even talking about? Well, we just photoshopped pictures of Cretans having sex with dogs and put them all over Facebook. That will show that little whore, eh? And with that, Alyssa started Googling porn and bestiality websites, humming a Lord song as she downloaded some truly disgusting pictures that were surprisingly easy to find. Of course it was all about a guy. Isn't every tragedy involving a teenage girl about a guy? This one's name was Evan. No, he didn't screw her and tell all his friends what a lame lay she was, In fact, he didn't break her heart in any way. He was a nice guy. He didn't even know she existed. I guess that was his mistake. Evan was a new kid. (sighs) Having just moved to Fickle Hill from Kooten, comma, and Alyssa was crazy about him the minute she saw him. Don't ask me why. I thought he was a total dork. He was like... Mr. Thespian all about drama and acting and stuff? Well, it just so happens that the drama department was going to put on Streetcar Named Desire. How they thought they could pull that off, I don't know. Well, Evan tried out and got the lead. Alyssa's neighbor, comma, and childhood nemesis Credence got the role of Stella. (laughs) Alyssa didn't even try out. Seriously, she had, like, no interest in theatre at all. She just always hated Creedence. You know, I always thought they had a few good songs. It's kind of harsh. I mean, Run Through the Jungle, and down on the corner, is funky as fuck. Some kind of tiff they got into in elementary school and never got over. Oh, this is like super long grudge. This is more like Melrose Place. Creedence had always been this kind of sad, nerdy girl. Alyssa, being one of the so-called popular girls, made sure Cretans knew her place on the ladder of Arcata High's social hierarchy, the bottom rung. But, in senior year, she suddenly blossomed, or whatever you call it, into this really smart, pretty girl. Of course, Evan hooked up with her. Get two teenagers rehearsing lines with each other, meeting after school to discuss their characters' motivations. Karma and the hormones are flying. It's inevitable. So Alyssa lost it. She was pissed, just indignant and irate that the talented, comma, good-looking new kid had the nerve to go out with a nobody-like credence and not even notice Ms. Popularity Alyssa. She just had it in for poor credence. And how was she going to get her? Dog porn. It was actually pretty easy to do. I sat and watched her do it, working all night, taking pictures off Credence's Facebook page of her dancing and skiing, her head thrown back laughing, at the beach playing in the surf and digitally cutting the heads off them, all the while blowing pink bubbles with her gum, twirling a lock of hair on her finger, comma, and smiling that strange smirk of hers. Then she cropped and edited them together with these disgusting pictures of porn and dogs that made it look, very realistically, that Credence liked Dog Rooster. I mean, really liked Dog Male Chicken, and was a person that... Okay, I'm just gonna read the line. Credence liked Dog Cock. I mean, really liked Dog Cock, and was a dog screwer. That's what she called her when she started posting them. Credence, the dog screw air. She made up a bunch of fake Facebook pages, running everything through our proxy so it wouldn't come back to her. Though she never got good grades in school, Alyssa was always really good with computers and plastered Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and all the rest of those social media sites with the pictures. Her sick little stunt worked like a charm. Everyone saw them, and even if everyone knew they were fake... Those pictures turned sweet, nerdy, blossoming credence into credence. The dog screwer. I screwed your dog? No one would be seen with her after that. Everyone pointed and snickered when she walked by. Evan dumped her. You would think people would be like. Like, pulling their dogs away from her when she walked down the street, like on a leash. Like, you know, like, you just grab the dog, like, No, not that fluffy. Only I get to do that. She stopped showing up for rehearsals. Then her mother found her hanging by her neck from a support beam in their basement. Now, that sounds really uncomfortable. When I found Alyssa in the girl's bathroom, bawling uncontrollably, I immediately rushed to her. I felt bad for her. She was my friend. I mean, it was a shit move she pulled, but she didn't think the girl was going to go off herself. I was probably to blame myself, too. After all, I was there. I watched her do it. It's okay, I told her. It's my fault, too. We didn't know this was going to happen. I pulled her into my arms, tears coming to my eyes as she shuddered and sobbed against me. She had to have something wrong with her to do this. "'You don't understand,' Alyssa said, looking up at me with wide, startled eyes out of a face distorted and wrenched with anguish. I talked to her. I was talking to her on Facebook. We were messaging back and forth. An icy knot formed in my stomach as my mind tried to piece together what she was saying. "'You mean she was messaging you as she hung herself?' The idea made me wince, comma, and I pulled away from Alyssa. Scared I might start gagging, Alyssa clutched onto my sweater with fingers clenched into claws as I tried to back away from her. Hanging on me, still sobbing, she began to talk through her tears. No, no, not while she did it. After. What you mean, after? After she was dead. All night, and the next morning, too. She was really freaking me out. And, and a flush of cool sweat rose over my face, my mouth filling with a stale coppery taste. You're not making any sense, Alyssa. How could she message you after she was dead? I don't know. And she burst into fresh tears. Oh, yeah, funky, fresh tears. Calm down. Just tell me what happened. I, Alyssa heaved, swallowed. Comma, and nodded, seeming to get herself a bit under control. All day, Credence kept posting these stupid pages from a site called Clown Dogs onto my timeline. You know, like clowns posing with puppies, Comma, and dogs balanced on big balls with clowns behind them. Really cute, idiotic stuff, but somehow it was scary. Clowns in their white makeup and red mouths. Clowns and dogs. Clowns and dogs, so many posts, my timeline was filled with them. So I sent her a message. Why do you keep posting this crap onto my timeline, bitch? You want me to unfriend you? So then she started messaging me over and over again. I knew it was you. You don't know shit. I didn't do nothing. Alyssa struggled not to break down into tears again. She clutched my sweater. tighter. her. I stroked her head. Ran my fingers through her hair. It's okay. Go on. What happened next? Then... Then in the morning, the last message said, I know it was you, and I'm going to get you for it. And then my computer went black. It went black. Nothing. Blackness. Then my mom burst into my room and told me, Credence had hung herself, and they found her the day before. Early in the morning. In the morning. Before all the messaging on Facebook and... I'm scared, really, really scared." With that she broke down again, letting go of my sweater and weeping loudly into her hands. "'Alyssa, calm down,' I said, trying to interject some logic. Maybe it was her mom posting from Credence's Facebook page. Most parents know their kid's password, or maybe it was Evan.' No, she mumbled through her tears. Shaking her head emphatically. No, it wasn't them. How do you know? I just do. Look, I have to go out to dinner with my parents tonight. It's my uncle's birthday. But come over in the morning and we'll look at Facebook together on my computer. Maybe you're just mixed up. I'm not. I'm not. I know it was her, comma, and she's going to come and get me. Alyssa, stop, okay? Just stop. Come over tomorrow and we'll figure it all out. She looked up, gratefully. Like a child might after you explain to them that everybody had bad days sometimes. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll come over tomorrow. Thank you, thank you so much. She hugged me and I went back to class. That night, Alyssa's father found her naked in the bathtub with clown dogs. No, sorry. That night, Alyssa's father found her naked in the bathtub with her wrists slit, the tub nearly a quarter full of black congealing blood her always overprotective father lost his mind and he blamed evan somehow he waited behind a redwood tree by the school bus stop with a shotgun comma and when evan stepped off he shot him in the face took half his head clean off evan fell down to the street his brains and blood all over the curb and gutter, comma, and all those kids on the school bus just watched as Alyssa's dad then put the barrel of that gun in his own mouth and fired. Afterwards, I tried to access Alyssa's Facebook page. I knew her password to see if those posts and messages she talked about were there, if the times matched up with what Alyssa had told me. But her page was down. I assumed her mother took it offline after the tragedy. I searched for a page called Clown Dogs. Nothing. It didn't exist then. But now? Now I've started getting the Clown Dogs post shared to my timeline. Ridiculous pictures with dogs licking food off of clowns' faces. Tiny dogs on the shoulders of clowns riding unicycles. Big dogs with saddles on them being ridden by midget clowns. Dogs dressed like clowns with clown hats on their heads and red balls on their noses. Silly, irreverent, and irrelevant, and stupid pictures. But to me, terrifying. These pictures are so damn scary, and I can't explain why. When I see them, I panic. I want to scream, just start screaming, but I'm afraid if I do, I might not be able to stop. Then this morning, when I checked my Facebook page, I saw I had a message Your next little clown. That was for all my dogs out there. Written by Humboldt Lycanthrope. Got some good reviews here. 9 out of 10, 6 out of (laughs) 10. Well, there's some really interesting things.
0: the creepy podcast episode 2 story 3 episode 11 music the score from 2 from the twilight zone extra noise by dj for id mm this is the longest pasty vr episode 11
1: my wife and i have a tradition every anniversary After we go to whatever theater or fancy restaurant we can scrape up the dough for. She puts on these black leather gloves and beats the fuck out of my face. Just, you know, breaks my nose, uh, bashes at least three teeth down my throat. And then just starts trying to dig her pinky finger as far into my ear canal as possible. And she really, every anniversary, like about a month and a half before, she stops cutting that pinky nail and just... Oh. but you know it's really the only way I can get off anymore so yeah it's it's good to have an understanding partner and okay I'm gonna start this over because it has made all that up hold on a second this is what happens when you deny someone a life of being creative it comes out like this my wife and I have a tradition every anniversary After we go to whatever theater or fancy restaurant we can scrape up the dough for, we go home and needlepoint hearts and bunnies and kittens. A
0: death and pestilence.
1: My wife and I have a tradition. Every anniversary, after we go to whatever theater or fancy restaurant we can scrape up the dough for, we give each other a present, she gets me a new tie, comma, and I get her a cartoon hanky sons of biscuit-eating mother truckers, you. That's dirty cartoons. Growing up, my wife loved animated television shows, which is kind of weird, because, like, you know, kids, like, why would they like cartoons? It was her hobby. When she wasn't doing schoolwork, chores, or playing with her friends, she was watching cartoons. She continued this habit, From diapers to art school, comma, and had built up quite the collection, sprawling across a huge collection of DVDs, VHS tapes, laser comma, and even some film reels. That's cool. I totally want a collection like that someday. So rad. I'm nerding out in your story, dude. Or dudette. Or whomever you may be. That's actually how I got to know her. I liked to talk with her about what animated shows were my favorites while she painted so every year I try and find some cartoon that she's never heard of I don't always succeed but I was riding high after last year's victory I had managed to scrape up an ancient Ukrainian VHS in a book nook it only cost me three bucks comma and thankfully it didn't crumble to dust by the time I got home with it this year I was determined to beat her again dude 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 oh sorry this year I was determined to uh, get her something really nice again But work had been pretty busy lately. I'm a substitute elementary school teacher, comma, and the flu had knocked a good number of teachers out of commission. So I was pretty much busy all day. As luck would have it, though, I found my salvation in a colleague, Milos. Milos was referred to exclusively as Mr. C by all the students. Oh yeah, dude, that was, um, Mr. C was Big Daddy Kane's DJ, right? And then... Uh, he also was the one that did the the Biggie demos, you know, like the famous footage of him. Biggie Smalls is the illest! Or, it's the wickedest! It's one of the, one of those. I don't think this is the same Mr. C. But peace to Mr. C, because, you know, like, dude, who's the man with the master plan? So, Milosh was referred to exclusively as Mr. C by all the students. Sounds like a stripper name. Since his Eastern European last name rolled off the tongue like a sea urchin bleh, A grey haired man in his early sixties, he spoke with a heavy accent and was notorious for having remember or having never remembering anybody's name. But all the kids liked him thanks to his polite, harmless nature, comma, and the faculty was quite fond of him too. One afternoon during lunch, and lunches capitalized for some reason, uh, I was in the teacher's lounge drinking a soda, comma, and in Camilos. I waved, comma, and he gave me a smile in return. He bought himself some peanut butter crackers from the vending machine and sat down across from me. We talked for a little while about whatever stupid decision the school board had made, comma, and... The conversation eventually changed to that of our wives. He had been married for nearly thirty years... So he had much more to say than the five I'd been together with my spouse. I told him about our anniversary tradition, comma, and he sat up a little straighter. Really, she beats you until your teeth fall down your throat? <laughs> it's funny you should mention that. I was going through my attic last week, comma, and I found a box of my mother's video cassettes. God, that's, that whole, is that how old video is? <laughs> I was going through the attic of my grandmother's things, and I found VHS tapes. Really? That's interesting. What was inside, I asked. The, the Holy Grail, and, and the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, the Rosetta Stone. Most of them were old recordings of me as a young man, but one of them was a cartoon that I would never seen before. My wife would probably know what it is. What is it called? I am not sure, Milos said, pausing to think, but I had never seen anything like it quite strange i only watched one episode before i lost interest i asked him if i could borrow it to see if my wife had somehow overlooked whatever cartoon this was Ah, you can have it milos said with a wave of his hand i'm too old for such things you mean it yes the condition is poor but it still runs in the vcr Yeah. we made an agreement comma and milos showed up the next day with a tape I offered to buy him lunch in exchange, but he politely refused, saying, Getting rid of some of this clutter is payment enough. I examined the tape, tucked it into a blank sleeve with some text drawn on it in a sharpie. It was written in Cyrillic Cyrillic characters, so I had no idea what it says, but there looked to be 11 episodes of this strange cartoon recorded on it. This is intriguing. I'm intrigued. Are you intrigued? I'm intrigued. So, comma, I completed my day and came home around 5.00. My wife wouldn't be home until 8. Spank, 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 No. That's not what happens. No. Since she was attending an auction, so after I finished my paperwork and ate some supper, I decided to check to see if this tape contained anything that I could spank. No, that's not what this is about. I'm going to counseling for that. I decided to check to see if this tape contained anything that my wife's watchful eye may have accidentally overlooked. I went to the living room with a glass of white wine and our cat Frisbee, comma, and popped in my dirty cave porn tapes. No, it's the white wine. I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to react to the white wine. Really? White wine and a cat? Dude. Dude, that's cool. I like both, but come on, man. Come on. Am I just missing out? Like, like I feel like a heathen in today's generation. Like, I used to be forward thinking and now I'm a brute. It's really weird. I'm wrong for thinking white wine and a cat might think make me think that you're in the closet. Okay. No disrespect, anyone's in the closet. Whatever your journey is, I wish you the best. I went to the living room with a glass of white wine and our cat Frisbee, comma, and popped the old VHS into the tape player. Sitting on the love seat with Frisbee purring in my lap. I had laid my laptop next to me so I could decipher some of the text if need be. It took a couple seconds, but I soon saw the tracking signal show up on the screen. The only semblance of credits was a few words that briefly flashed on the black screen. They were written in plain white text, comma, and I paused the tape to type the words into Google Translate. As you know, capital Translate isn't a flawless program, to say the least, but it claimed that the words were Bulgarian, comma, and translated to something like, this is the first episode. The episode started in what looked like a college dorm room. There were two beds, comma, and the only occupied one had someone sleeping under the covers. This person woke up and tossed his covers off. He looked like an average college kid with scruffy facial hair and a university t-shirt on. He ambled away into the bathroom, which was off-screen, comma, and after a few sounds of rustling clothes and running water and... uh, Spank, spank, spank. Walked back on screen in a jacket and... What's a... a talk? T O Q U E in, in a jacket and T O Q whatever a T O Q U E is. His, he took off his pants to jacket and now he's wearing a T O Q U E. One thing I noticed off the bat was the meticulous detail he put into the art and animation. Okay, we're back. To, we're talking about the craft of it, not what the guy was doing with his wiener when he took off his pants to jacket. Okay, the backgrounds had all kinds of extra things because he was like making it very animated. The backgrounds had all kinds of extra things to look at. <laughs> A model airplane halfway built sitting on a desk, open drawers, with clothes hanging out of them, the light of the window fading and reappearing in accordance to unseen clouds. And every frame of the character's walk cycle was unique. No reused shots or loops. Every step he took was slightly different than his last one. If this was a weekly cartoon, the animators must have been working pretty damn hard to deliver this level of quality. They must have had the Walter White meth, right? Is that the guy's name? Because I haven't really watched that show yet. But the show about how cool it is to make meth. And it's not set in Fresno. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, this character left his room, comma, and walked down an empty hallway, his sneakers making hollow thumping noises against the ground, once again sounding like each sound effect was unique. It reminded me of Courage the Cowardly Dog. The creators claimed that they wanted to make a cartoon based largely around sound. For all I know, this could have been their inspiration. The protagonist left the building. The outdoors a dreary-looking representation of an urban landscape with a layer of what was either mist or smog hanging over the tops of the windowless buildings. There was no soundtrack. Just the sounds of his feet on the pavement and urban ambience in the background. It sounded like Matmos. The distant roar of traffic on a freeway, the occasional shrill backing up single signal <laughs> Once I heard a squeal of brakes. Squeal Oddly enough, I didn't see a single vehicle. It was nothing but couples, y'all. I could see the individual wisps of breath rise from the protagonist's mouth, implying, it must have been cold out. So far so good. I didn't recognize anything, comma, and I doubt my wife had seen anything like this. The whole thing had also had that level of pretentiousness that she fell for, hook, line, comma, and sinker, period. Minutes came and went as I watched this poker-faced young man walk to whatever destination he was heading to. You don't really love nobody. It didn't take long for me to lose interest. Good animation or not boring is still boring comma and watching this kid trudge down an empty street wasn't all that riveting in my opinion there was absolutely no riveting going on whatsoever the only event worth mentioning during this endless walk was when the kid walked past somebody else the angle of the shot was positioned so it faced the stranger's back they were dressed in heavy clothes too comma and the two pressed each other with a quick greeting without even looking at each other it was a bittersweet symphony that life he stopped all of a sudden in front of a largeish building, comma, and he looked up at it, even though it lacked any defining features, the boy seemed to recognize that it and went through the door without even opening. It. <laughs> oh, this is where it gets good. Hold on. When he entered, there was a group of small girls, or a small group of it, it was okay, a, a, a gathering of girls that was not very many girls. Like just a small gathering of of young women, okay? All holding thermoses. I had that dream once. They were all screaming and throwing little pickles at you. Yeah, okay. You know that movie? Go find that movie reference. When he entered there was a small group of girls, all holding thermoses, talking quietly in the corner of the lobby of whatever building this was, comma, and they all went silent when the protagonist drew close to them. He stopped, comma, and stared at them. Period. The girls all looked like they were trying to hold back laughter, comma, and the guy had the same bland expression he had in the entire episode. That's right, we're watching a cartoon. What a weird freaking cartoon, man. This is like beyond Tim and Eric adult swim, isn't it, right here? More like monkey dust. They stared for a good five seconds before one of the girls promptly threw the contents of her cup into the guy's face. Yeah, get it on. Bang a gong. He winced and stumbled back with his hand over his eyes. Apparently, they found their random act of cruelty hilarious because they started cackling like harpies. The scene switched back to the guy who was now covering his whole face, liquid running down his hands and dribbling all over the floor. (laughs) As he tried to right himself, he slipped and fell, landing back first under the floor. The girls' laughter was rekindled, comma, and now they were pointing and drawing as much attention as possible, despite the fact that no one else was around. I was shocked when I saw that the skin on his face was blistering. That beverage in the thermos must have been hot. After the poor kid got back to his feet, he pushed past them and traveled deeper into the building. The girls threw what was left of their beverages at him as he fled. The episode ended with a close-up on the main character's blistered, distraught face. At this point, I had to fast-forward because the speakers had suddenly released a definitely loud shriek. Frisbee fled out of shock, and I seriously think that if my volume had been turned up any higher, my wine glass might have shattered. (sighs) Clutch the pearls... Thankfully, that seemed to be the end of the episode, so I didn't have long to wait before I could go back to normal speed. I turned my volume down to almost silent and warily, pressed the play button. The electronic wailing had vanished, and apparently another episode was beginning. The title card read, And this is the second one. It was identical to the way the first episode began, beginning with the protagonist, his face unblemished, climbing out of his dormitory bed, My initial thought was that this was a recording mistake, but this theory was quickly debunked when I realized that the protagonist was in a different set of pajamas. Pajamas. I wear pajamas with you. And I hope you like pajamas too. Pajama, pajama, pajama. It's college, they all love Bob Marley. This time, instead of going to the Bob Marley concert, or the bathroom, the kid went to the desk next to his bed and sat down. In one motion, he slept all of the clutter off the surface. Papers and food wrappers fell to the ground beside him, and the model plane smashed into dozens of little pieces. He opened the top drawer and removed his sewing kit. Placing it onto the desk, it cut to a view of his face staring down at the palm-sized kit on the desk. He withdrew another object from Hammerspace. For those underwear, Hammerspace is the area where all cartoon characters pull their supplies from. That is to say, from nowhere. It was a doll a crude, stereotypical caricature of a baby. Its eyes were gazing off into the distance and the mouth was puckered in a dopey little with blushing red cheeks and hair the color of sand. The protagonist stared down at this doll with the same poker face he had kept up since the first episode because he don't really know nobody. Can't read that poker face. Poke that face. Then he picked up the needle from the sewing kit, threaded it, comma, and began to poke that face, began to work on the doll. The shot was angled in a way that you couldn't see the doll when he sewed it. The screen showed the protagonist's face as he worked for a good minute then as he appeared to have finished it, comma and showed the end result. The doll's face was snared in black thread. now he don't really know nobody neither. Its eyes were now X'd out, comma, and a sinister grin was formed only with tiny vertical lines serving as the mouth, comma, and two longer diagonal ones shaped in a way to resemble eyebrows. My, 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 poke a face and poke in your face. The cute innocent little thing now looked like some kind of wicked voodoo artifact, and then a vomit artist came out and vomited all over everybody. And then and, and they took a bath in a bathtub full of weird-looking water and Cheerios, and then R. Kelly came out and started massaging people in a really, really, like, inappropriate manner. The protagonist stared down at his masterpiece and actually cracked a tiny smile. Because R. Kelly farted. As macabre as his creation was, he seemed genuinely proud of it. The episode ended after that. I've seen some bizarre animation in my lifetime. From cone Skin to Heavy Metal to the Triplets of Belleville, name dropper. But this, this was the type of thing you'd find at David Lynch's garbage disposal. The kind of already disturbing crap that some uber-Christian mom probably thought contained a demonic message telling little kids to eat babies. But hell, it was unique, comma, and it was free, so I decided to use it. I was about to stop the VCR, but then the next title card popped up. Instead of a few words, this one looked like a whole essay. The entire screen taken up by words. Credits maybe? Just to satiate my curiosity. I typed a few words into translate to see what it said. Lassen, hello, this is my... It was a message. Now intrigued, I typed the rest of the text, comma, and comma, accounting for Google Translate's many mistakes. I think the message roughly translates to something like this. Lassen, hello, this is my animation for Academy. I labored, worked on it for a long time, and I have for you, I hope, wish you enjoy, and I will do it soon. Further research taught me that Lassen is a Bulgarian male name. comma, and comma. Coincidentally, comma, there's an artist named Lassen... ...who's done a lot of illustrations for children's books, who's also, you guessed it, Bulgarian. Whether or not this is the same Lassen this message was addressed to is beyond me. But there you go. That's what it says, but there you go. The third episode had the exact same beginning as the first two, comma, and I was sensing a pattern forming here. The same kid got out of bed, wandered into the bathroom, freshened himself up, comma, and came back fully dressed, Freaking tease. Looking carefully, I found the stitch faced doll from the previous episode on his desk. The needle jabbed vertically into his forehead, screaming, Alejandro, 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 Alejandro. It was eerily similar to the first episode, but with an entirely new set of animations to show the exact same events unfolding, and with music from Ace of Bass instead. The music didn't sound any different. I wasn't looking forward to watching the kid make his pilgrimage to that building again, so I took the opportunity to use the bathroom while the tape ran. Unfortunately, while I was out of the room, I missed the hottest scene. That ear-shattering squeal ran out again, comma, and I had to hurry back to shut it off once more. I kept the audio muted for my sanity's sake as I watched the next scene unfold. The girls who had mercilessly harassed the protagonist earlier were nowhere to be found, comma, and he continued into the next room without incident. It was a large room, presumably an auditorium, with a bunch of folding chairs set up in front of a raised platform. On this platform stood a new character, a man about my age with Coke bottle glasses and a dorky pink tie. I think I work with that guy. He's the host at my restaurant. If I had to hazard a guess, I'd say he was supposed to be a professor. No, he's a host at my restaurant. Since the protagonist was clearly in college. Well, I think he likes college guys, so... After a few more people filtered into the room and sat in the audience, the professor, as I'll call him, began talking. I tried turning the sound on to hear what he might be talking about, but the audio was overlaid with screeching, so I had no choice but to mute it. I did my best to try and read his lips, but I think the dialogue must have been in Bulgarian, too. Why don't they speak English, Jesus freaking Christo? About a minute into his lecture, the professor took his glasses off and rubbed his eyes before putting them back on and continuing. He was either really engaged with whatever he was talking about or really angry about it because he was going off the rails, yo. I could see his face flushing and beads of sweat emerging on his brow and the audience of about six people didn't seem to care in the slightest. Mid rant, the professor's eyes bugged out of his head and he grabbed his neck as though he was choking. His glasses fell off and his tongue stuck out rigidly as he stumbled around, grasping at his throat. It was animated with hideous detail. I could see every individual vein swelling up on his neck, and someone even took the time to animate the ribbons of drool running down his chin. Despite his obvious distress, not one of the audience members budged an inch, staring at him with bored indifference. It's kind of like what it's like walking around in San Francisco right now. Eventually. The professor collapsed onto his back and lay spread-eagled on the platform. I believe that's called the happy baby pose, right? In yoga. Two streams of blood trickling from his eyes. No, that's that's definitely not. That's not happy baby. There's no blood in happy baby. It makes sad baby. As though he had just been strangled, the audience sat there for a moment before calmly getting up and exiting, not looking or speaking to one another, just getting onto the bart. The episode ended with an overhead view of the auditorium professor left abandoned on the stage. From this point on, I'm not going to describe every single episode with such detail for brevity's sake. Thank freaking Jesus. I'll just summarize the basic plot and show what the title card at the beginning said. Episode four, A New Hope. Text. It should be clear what this is means represents. Well, I represent the real hip-hop yo, but we'll see what they represent protagonist goes to his desk again and starts writing on a piece of paper, scratching at the back of his neck constantly. Near the end of the episode, the protagonist examines his fingers, which are now bloody. A shot of his neck reveals a giant welt, which he seems to have scratched to the point of bleeding. Episode 5. Text. I wish it could have been this easy. The protagonist picks up the piece of paper he was writing on which still had bloody fingerprints on it, and tucks it into an envelope, exiting his room with it. He goes to a new building, which resembles another dorm, and slides the letter under the door of another room marked 56. He leaves, and a close-up on his neck reveals a bandage, which he promptly tears off. The wound from the last episode is absent. His name is Marcellus Wallace. Episode 6, text... It was also... The protagonist goes to another new building, a dining hall. He meets this stranger from the first episode, whose face is still hidden, comma, and the two sit down together and talk. The rest of the episode is only one shot, an over-the-shoulder view of the protagonist from behind his friend. As the two of them talk, one can see a member of the kitchen staff overzealously tenderizing a chunk of meat in the background, bits of gristle flying all over the place the episode ends after the stranger gets up and exits, leaving the protagonist to sit by himself and stare into space. Episode 7. I tried not to. What I was felt. The protagonist goes to his desk again and starts scratching down the beginnings of another note. The camera cuts away at about the two-minute mark to the door, where an envelope slides under it into the room. The protagonist goes to pick it up comma and suddenly becomes very excited when he sees the sender he returns to his desk with an eager look in his eye comma and sits down to open it the camera faces his back as he reads it sitting silently he starts to tremble he balls his fists oh sorry my mind went some more terrible he fit he fists he f- f- his f- balls and fists crumpling the note into a wad and hurling it against the wall. That's... He storms into the bathroom, comma, and the rest of the episode is spent staring at an empty room and hearing the kids shouting and crying off-screen. This is a really strange cartoon. I wish I had a copy of it. Someone please make this cartoon. I'd love to watch it. Episode 8. Text. That isn't important. This is the shortest episode, narrowly scraping the four-minute mark. The protagonist is absent His bed empty instead the opposite bed is shown to have someone in it someone who's neither visible nor asleep the figure twitches and thrashes around under the covers but is unable to get up the reason is clear the blanket is anchored to the bed with barbed wire oh god that was a terrible movie what a terrible thing to be lashed to the bed with Each length tied to an opposite side of the bed frame, so the person, at least I assume it's a person, was tied to the bed like luggage to the top of a car. The figure squirms for a good while before going limp. Episode 9. No title card for this episode. This episode has its typical beginning. The protagonist getting up and putting his clothes on. The opposite bed is unoccupied again, with no signs of a previous struggle. The protagonist stops halfway to the door, comma, and turns around. He looks directly into the camera, smiling, comma, and starts talking. I had pumped the volume down to barely audible to avoid any more yelping from the speakers. Pump down the volume, pump down the volume. So I tentatively turned it up a few notches, pump up the volume. I was immediately punished for my curiosity when Justin Bieber screamed over them. I was immediately punished for my curiosity when that ghastly wail presented itself again. Oh, so it was future. Sorry. Drowning out any semblance of dialogue, comma, and as I silenced it in disgust, the protagonist speaks to the viewer for a few minutes, laughing every once in a while, and then exits, ending the episode, and saying, Purchase my new album called The Buffet. Episode 10. This episode lacked a title card, as well. This episode was shown from a top-down perspective, so it was obviously filmed out in Cali, comma, and appears to pick up exactly where episode nine left off. The camera follows the protagonist on his walk to the same building he traveled to in episodes one and three, zooming out to an almost outrageous degree when the camera enters the outdoors. It got to a point where the protagonist was merely an ant-sized figure scuttling down a turgid collection of identically colored rectangles. It was at this point where the video appeared to have been damaged. The image being shredded by stripes of black and white static and jerking violently. Oh, dude, I don't want to hear about what you're doing while you're watching this. I heard the VCR give a panicked whir as it tried to make sense of the corrupted film, comma, and eventually the TV screen was engulfed in snow. I should have been pleased that I wouldn't have to watch anymore, but then there was an inkling of curiosity I couldn't get rid of. True, the show's narrative had been wafer-thin at best, but I kinda wanted to see the eleventh episode just to see if it brought the plot it pretended to have to a close. I got my wish. As I was searching for the remote, the static on the screen flickered. I paid no mind at first until it flickered again, this time more violently. The wall of hissing nonsense that covered the screen was flinching like something on the other side was trying to force its way out. All at once, the picture snapped back into existence. It was Carol Ann. And all at once the picture snapped back into existence. It was another title card. Thankfully, I had found the remote, comma, and I got a chance to pause it and type the text into Google Translate. It read, This is my favorite episode. I remember letting out a noise of confusion when I unpaused the tape. It showed an empty room with four chairs arranged in an untidy row. A small table sitting beside them. The animation was completely different from the previous episodes. Unlike the pseudo-Disney, hand-drawn nature of the previous ten, Episode 11 looked more like it had been rotoscoped. Rotoscoping is an animation technique where artists trace over live-action footage frame by frame. It's a very old practice. If you've ever seen the music video for Take On Me, you can get the idea of what the scene looked like, except much less professional. That means that that video is really old at this point, which means, um... The image remained static for a few moments until someone appeared in the chair a second from the left after a jump cut. It was a girl, unconscious, from the way she was slumped over. Soon after, another girl blipped into the frame, seated on the farthest right, similarly limp. Eventually, all four chairs were occupied by an unconscious girl. Even though I probably shouldn't have, I unmuted the television. There was no shrieking anymore or any noise at all for that matter. I jumped when the silence was broken by a loud creak, followed by some footsteps. There was a noticeable dip in audio quality, the sound being muffled and dull. When the footsteps stopped, there was a short thud and a shrill noise that sounded like someone undoing a zipper. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> the angle was obstructed when a body moved in front of the camera. With the boiling lines of the rotoscoped figure twitching like mad, it took a second for me to realize that this person was showing a small cylindrical object to the audience. This person set it down on the small table and removed a tiny pill from their pocket, promptly swallowing it. They turned to one of the girls, who was still unconscious, comma and gently shook her. When there was no response, they sighed and walked off screen, returning a few seconds later with a bucket they threw the contents of the bucket directly into her face It's very rude the girl waking with a frightened frightened squeal after she blinked and spluttered for a few moments she looked up at the offender a look of absolute horror spread across her face the person spoke disclosing his identity as a male then i felt my stomach tighten i knew that voice it was the protagonist i haven't the slightest idea what he said but the girl furiously shook her head to deny whatever he accused her of then he lunged at her and seized a fistful of hair the girl began to scream and sob hysterically the protagonist snatched the cylinder off the table and showed it to the audience a second time before a knife sprung from the other end and it was a switchblade. blade he drove it into the girl's neck she was unable to scream now the blade must have hit her larynx a feeble gurgling noise was the only thing she had left Protagonist removed the blade, blood spurting from the wound. This was the only thing that had any color through the entire segment, being a muddy red. The girl beside her had woken up and was set to screaming when she saw her neighbor gagging on her own blood. The protagonist clasped a hand over her mouth, sledding her throat with one click, slash. This had officially crossed the fucking line. It's not cool, bro. I lunged for the remote, but I moved too quickly and knocked it off its place on the armrest, and it tumbled out of reach. Cursing myself, I got down on all fours and grasped for it, trying to ignore the agonized screams and pleading coming from the television. By the time I finally found it, I was too late. The deed had been done. The bodies laying in monochrome. Silence. I was seconds from pushing the damn eject button. Seconds from contacting Milosh and demanding what kind of sick joke he had played on me. But I didn't. Something stopped me protagonist. The murderer had taken something out of his pocket, comma, and now aimed it in the direction of the corpses. A cell phone. It wasn't even an old-fashioned model. It looked identical to an iPhone. The animator even shaded the Apple logo to make it more pronounced. Product shot. That wasn't possible. This was an old cartoon. There was no way in hell that there could be an iPhone in it. And besides, if this really was a recent cartoon, why was it on a crappy VHS? And how did it end up in the possession of an Eastern European substitute teacher? Did Milos make it? Was this his kind of practical joke? The last few minutes of the tape consisted of the protagonist taking pictures of each of his victims, but every time he snapped a photo, there would be a cut to a different image. It was the same scene, but it was live action with grisly full-color images of the girls and their wounds. The tape ended with the final message, which I had no time to translate. I was busy rifling through one of the kitchen drawers for the school directory. I finally found it and tracked down Milosz's number. I had never contacted him before, but I needed answers now. Greg? I froze. I heard the familiar sound of the door closing, comma, and oh, it's his wife. Greg? My wife entered the kitchen, carrying a large canvas-like package. You'll never believe what they had there. Thank God we're so poor, or I would. Her smile evaporated when she saw my expression. You're pale, do you feel alright, she inquired. I needed to make a phone call, I managed to say. I grabbed the phone off of the receiver and dialed in the number when my, while my wife, concerned, went to put her things away. I paced the kitchen as I listened to the taunting buzz of the connection noise in my ear. Finally, Milos picked up the phone. Hello. I was ready to let him have it, but I didn't want my wife to hear anything. Kinky. Milos, it's Greg Sykes. I needed to talk to you about the tape you sent me. Oh, hello, Greg. I'm sorry to hear that you're having trouble. Is it broken? The naivety in his voice made me want to throw the phone across the room. Nah, bro. It's what's what's on the tape, bro. It's not funny, bro. In fact, it's pretty damn sick. Did you honestly think that giving me some fake snuff movie for my wife would be cute? There was a pause. I don't understand. Episode 11, Milos. Those dead girls. What are you talking about? Stop playing innocent, man. I kept my voice low but I made sure to fill each word with venom. Ah! Where did you get those pictures, huh? Some gore sight? Calm down. What do you mean by dead girls? Milosh? I've already told you that this isn't funny. Just apologize, and we can put these dead girls past us. There was another moment of silence before Milosh spoke again. Greg, listen to me. I don't know what you saw, but I can assure you I didn't have anything to do with it. Do you need me to contact the police? Or maybe a psychologist? "'You scared me enough. God damn it. Isn't... enough... isn't it... enough that...?' A shrill scream from upstairs cut me off. My brain didn't bother to register anything until I reached my wife. I was downstairs, comma, and... then I was upstairs, like I had teleported. It was afterwards when I became aware that I'd rammed my big right toe into the bottom step while I was sprinting, trailing blood up to my bedroom. My wife pressed against the bedroom wall opposite the window, her package jettisoned in the center of the room. I had no need to ask her what was wrong. She was already pointing. The window now had something scrawled into the glass, the symbols in a vertical column. X-I-I. And below this, nailed to the sill, was a crude baby doll, its eyes X'd out and given a malevolent smile with black string. The police were already on their way. Damn it! Milos had contacted them after I had dropped the telephone. I was going to search the house, but I realized that the message in the window was carved from the outside. I settled on locking every feasible entrance to the house, not bothering to question how someone could have reached our bedroom window on the second floor without a ladder. After everything was done, my wife and I sat in the bedroom. She must have been crying. I remember her shaking in my arms. I know I should have been trying to comfort her, but I spent every moment of that agonizing wait for the police staring at the window. I practically flew to the door when I heard the urgent knocking. Pulling my wife with me, I wasn't going to let her out of my sight again hesitated out of pure paranoia leaving my wife to open it for me greg and lisa sykes a middle-aged cop stood on our doorstep lisa invited him inside comma and the officer promptly yelled jesus cristo the vcr was ablaze melted to a rectangular block of slag it must have been lit on fire earlier comma and we just didn't notice up in our bedroom for some reason tape was still in there it's going to be ruined and that was what had started all this that was what the police had wanted to see I grasped for the VCR slot and tried to ignore the pain from the burning metal. It took both my wife and the cop to pry me off despite my protest that we needed to get the tape out of there. I eventually calmed down enough to explain what was going on to both of them. They both listened carefully, despite the insanity of the story. <laughs> I told them everything, where I got the tape, the weird title cards, the flawless animation, episode 11, and the cops got a hold of Milosh, but could ultimately find nothing incriminating. He couldn't answer any of my questions either, insisting that he had never even seen the tape before he found it in the attic. We haven't spoken since. Not since that one night, were The case was eventually dismissed as harassment. I had no point to prove since the evidence had been destroyed. Try as I did, I couldn't get the VCR to open to retrieve the corpse of the tape. My wife had been acting more uncomfortable, even after I stopped mentioning the tape and we got a new window. The final message after episode 11 somehow remained stuck on the screen, even after the tape should have been ruined. When I couldn't sleep that night, I translated it. Episode 12 coming soon written by the boy with the burning hands the boy with the burning hands
0: thank you for listening to the creepy podcast I think I need to go to bed now remember the darkest hour is just before dawn 1984 was 32 years ago we live in the future. Hello, good night.